Hello, this is Daniel Orton, pastor of Harvest House United Pentecostal Church in Marion, Kentucky. It is our desire to see hurting hearts and minds healed as they are born again into the kingdom of God. It is my desire that this podcast will be a blessing to you and help bring you closer to Jesus. everybody what they learned last week and the week before um, they it will be different things from what was covered up here because I accidentally skipped the chapter <laughs> and then my dad came back and covered chapter two <laughs> yeah. so this week we're on chapter four and so is everyone else <laughs> so we're on, we're on track we are back on track and in the right place it worked it worked out uh, all material up to this point is indeed covered, so no worries. Uh, anyway, so we, uh, I, I'm just going to read the verses, and I'm going to give you my title just to immediately intrigue you. So uh, if you would, let's all stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 30. Proverbs chapter number 11 and verse number 30. It says, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. And the second part is why this verse is famous. He that winneth souls is wise. Uh, we had a popular preacher come through here a few years ago by the name of Tim Downs. And he said, if it's wise, if you want to be wise, you should win souls. That's, that's the way he put it. And... Um, Anyway, let's move on to Matthew 28. Uh, this verse should be incredibly familiar to absolutely everyone because I think we've read it pretty much every week so far. If we haven't, we're probably slacking. Um, go ye there, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I watched a preacher going uh, through this book, and he also... He said, uh, let's stress the word in the name singular. I don't have time to get into the rest of that. <laughs> Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And of course, we've heard it in the NIV. This is translated, go into all the world and make disciples. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for who you are, for what you've done, and for this model that you've given to us and that we are learning. Help us to be more like you in every single way. Help us to be disciples and help us to make disciples. Jesus, we thank you for your awesome and holy and righteous name, God. You are so wonderful and so righteous. And you are our example. Help me to speak your words, not just my own. Help me to be more like you, to walk in the anointing that you have given in Jesus' name. And help us to hear it, to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers also. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. I'm going to be talking today on the topic of penguins and storks. I told you that title's interesting. Catches people off guard, don't it? What on earth are we talking about with penguins and storks? Well, we'll get there. But before we get there, uh, we are going to build some foundation for where we're going. Penguins and storks. J just a uh, for frame of reference, what do you think I'm talking about? 
if, if you had to venture a guess, I could not tell you. Bobby says he could not tell me. Does anyone know? All right. What's a penguin? Flatless bird. A flatless bird that lives in the ice. down in the south, a little further south than Texas, a little further south than South America, down in Antarctica. What's a stork? It's the bird that's famous for bringing babies. That is correct. That is exactly what the stork is most famous for. Yes, the stork is a real bird, uh, but those of you who have uh, ever, at some point, parents got tired of answering the question with um, ask somebody else and or. or avoiding a certain topic and they told kids oh the stork brought babies and that's where that story comes from you don't immediately see much connection between these birds <laughs> uh, and in fact uh, the title of this chapter is called penguins not storks implying that they're very different birds so we'll get there so we talked about the need to make sure that our Bible doctrine is right. We talked about the need to follow someone else and to follow their example and to become all God has intended us to be. And that it's hard to become all God intends us to be if we don't have an example that we're following. We need to know the book before we can, we need to know what the Bible says before we can ever teach somebody else what it says. It's very hard uh, to, now we've had some very successful, has anyone ever written a report on a chapter or a book for school and never opened the book? I read the chapter titles, that's enough. I read the table of contents. I read the first the set, the first and last sentences. Or or I yeah, and Bobby says and you got enough. Now I know there's some people that were incredibly successful at this. Somehow from the chapter titles and the book title they were able to completely infer exactly or at least make the teacher know think that they knew what they were talking about. Some people did very well at this. Some people just naturally gifted in the in the art of lying <laughs> and sounding smarter than they are. Some people are just naturally gifted. I had the ability to. Uh, I, I read one personality test, uh, and one of the things was, "Do you believe that you could sell?" A Mac to Bill Gates. Some people just naturally gifted at this, being able to make up absolute crap. <laughs> yeah, some people are just gifted at that. But we need to make sure because God is a lot smarter than any professor or teacher out there. We're not going to make it up to him. <laughs> We're not going to get a pass in this without knowing the book. We're not going to be able to stand before him someday and pre prevent, present the uh, report on the book that we have never read. <laughs> we can't make the report off of we, Yeah, we, we can't base it off of, uh, oh, I watched the TV show. I watched The Chosen, that's enough. I, I know what the Bible says. <laughs> uh, we're not going to get a pass on this. We've got to have proper theology before we can ever have proper biblical practice is how this chapter starts. With this in mind, let's look at how the first century church actually lived their lives. I asked the question, how different is our life from the lives that they lived in the Bible? How different is the way that we do church from the way Paul, Peter, Ananias, everyone you read about in the book of Acts did church. Much different. And it is incredibly different. It, 
he, he, he says, let's turn our attention to this language that we pretty much mostly get from this verse in Proverbs that I read earlier. Uh, the, in fact, uh, I mentioned that preacher come through. He literally branded his entire ministry, go win souls. Go win souls. And it's very popular. Uh, there was another preacher who he was kind of a disciple of whose entire ministry uh, really took force after he preached a message called Addicted to Soul Winning. Yep. And it was a huge movement. All of this really just got popular, popular, popular. And we are supposed to be winning souls is the idea. And I know this is going to resonate with people what, uh, what is written in this chapter today. Because he says this, I would like to, uh, he said, I fully agree with Paul by whatever means necessary, we need to make sure that we can save someone. I might by all means save some. I become all things to all men that by all means I might save some is what Paul says. Uh, but he says that 90%, he says that, Brother Gleason in this book says that I believe 90% of the way that we do this, that 90% of the congregation just checks out when we preach this. Because they're saying, that's not me. That's not my personality. That's not the way I live my life. He, he says uh, that there's one of four reasons. Um, this ain't the way I live my life. I don't do this. I'm not the type of person who goes and just smiles and says, how do you do to every person I meet? I don't, I'm not out shaking hands and kissing babies and, you know, the stereotypical way. That's not me. Step two, I don't relate to living life this way. Uh, number three, this is not my personality. I'm not good at it. Or number four, they believe only a few highly gifted people are called of God to be this type of person. And in fact, uh, we even get the illustration that he puts points out later in the chapter. Uh, the word evangelist is only in the Bible three times. The word evangelizes in it none. And we call this evangelizing when we go out to the streets and ask people whether they want to go to heaven or hell or whatever uh, other soul-winning method you might have in mind. Uh, oh, we call it evangelizing when we do this thing that's more popular around here called door knocking. We call it evangelizing when we are inviting someone to church. Or if uh, the, or the, uh, that guy who's really popular, he hands out the tracks with the really creepy comics on them. Uh, uh, chick tracks is what they're called. They're not apostolic. They're Baptist, I believe. Uh, but that's called evangelizing, going out. And he said, that word's in the Bible, none. And it's true. It's not. And the word evangelist is only in there three times. A couple times it's referring to a certain person that is an evangelist. And another time it says that it's one of the fivefold ministries to be an evangelist. There's, and people believe there's only a few highly gifted people called of God to do this thing. And too many times when someone comes out. In fact, when we had that preacher that I talked to talked about come to our church, we had him come one night. He told all his stories about all the efforts that he had put into this and uh, the stories of him getting people in, into hotel bathtubs to be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost and this and that. And we told we told uh, another preacher that he preached at their church who had had him come for a full weekend and said, he said, oh, you only had him for one night? You probably felt really bad about yourselves afterwards, didn't you? Because you didn't get the full experience of the next day he was supposed to teach you how to do it and show you and all that kind of stuff. Because too many times they're trying to get good people to do something that they don't think they can do. Yeah. Uh, and it's unfortunate because it's, it's not the congregation's fault. It's the fault of the presenter. It's really hard to lead a church from here. 
It's really hard to lead a church from this thing and this thing. It's really hard to do that. I, I, I saw a picture online and said, what's the difference between leadership and being the boss? Leader stands in front while everyone follows. The boss stands behind with the whip. Yeah. Forward, forward. Yeah, it's a big difference doing those things. Bottom line. Most of us in our churches are intimidated, unengaged with this model. It can't be the will of God. It, this, this can't be the will of God for us to not want to do this thing, right? Yeah. It's not supposed to. When Jesus presented his idea to the first church, they went and did it. They thought, obviously, this is something we can do. So, obviously, we are doing something different. Yeah. Uh, because we, we hear reports that they were getting 3,000, 5,000. Someone new added to the church every day. Such as should be saved. We got apathy in our churches now. We got people who feel like, I don't care. Everything you're saying just sounds too hard. Yeah. I, we can't not be reaching people. Not reaching people around us. He says, the fault is local church culture. Yeah. Oh, there's a word that we've been talking about recently. Local church culture. Yeah. What is a culture? Texas gave a little bit of a definition. A couple other people gave definition when we were talking Thursday night. Uh, a culture is language. It's the way people dress. It's how they do everything that they do in their daily lives. That's a culture. American culture involves uh, what TV shows are on the TV. It's, it's obvious in the way of what types of food we eat. It's obvious in the way of our language. It's obvious in the way that we dress. And that's the reason why so often you get examples of culture based on the different people that come in around you. And I've even put it this way. I believe that you can find something different in every single even apostolic church that you go to in our area. Right. You will find differences in the way that they live their lives. And it's, and it's almost every time obvious from the moment that you step through the front door. There's a difference in the way every church operates, every church does things. Even if they do similar things, something's a little bit different. It's obvious when some of them are trying to copy somebody else even. It's obvious when a new pastor comes in. Within a year, you will probably see a marked difference in the way that they live their lives. Because everyone's different. Even if the same church, even if someone who who operated under that same pastor, takes the church, they will be different. Yeah. Local church culture. So people don't always do what the leader says. They do what the leader does. Yeah. They, uh, and if they aren't doing what the leader does, it's because they believe that they can't do what the leader does. They believe they're going to be in trouble if they do what the leader does. Or they'll have this in mind or that in mind. And if they, for, if they long enough see hypocrisy in their leader, most of the time they're just going to disappear. Yeah. That's what, where we get the idea of they don't do what he does. They don't do what he says, they do what he does. And if they can't do what he does, they're probably going to disappear. Uh, J.T. Pugh said, whatever is in the heart of the pastor is going to come out in the congregation. Your pastor is modeling a heart for lost people, then they will have a heart for lost people. So we are getting the picture here. Who's this up to? 
us guys that get up here and lead, lead the church. Yeah. That's who this is on. So, what I'm here to say today is if we're having issues with this, as we've heard multiple times throughout this series, let me begin by saying we are not here to say you're bad people. Yeah. We're here to say, okay, let's fix this together. Amen. You can't serve the church from behind the pulpit, is what I said. Uh, we need to model. We need to practice this. We need to show what we mean when we say go make disciples. Jesus' method of creating a disciple-making culture was not preaching to the masses, even though he did preach to masses. Yeah. I, I, I have heard a lot of people recently say, oh, Jesus didn't talk to large crowds. He talked to large crowds. But that wasn't the bulk of his ministry. That's, that's something, that's a qualified statement. Yes, Jesus preached to 5,000 people. But most of the things we see Jesus doing actually takes place inside of kitchens. Yeah. Or street side. Or desert. Or fishing boat. How many people you fit on a fishing boat? I think he fit about 12 people in the boat. That's that's where that's the biggest number I read about him having on a boat with him is 12 people. That's not yeah, that's a bigger boat than your average two-manner that we see out in the middle of the lake these days, but that's not the big crowds of 5,000. Yeah. 5,000, maybe 15,000 at the most is where we see the miracle of loaves and fishes. But after the miracle of loaves and fishes, the next time he has a large congregation shows up, he doesn't serve them food and they disappear. Yeah. Hashtag relatable. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we need to think long and hard about what culture do we want. Yes, culture starts here, but then it extends. It starts with the people who preach and teach in the church. But after that, culture is formed by the church. Yeah, it is. So this is me saying, okay, we're wanting to start here. This is what we want to start doing. It's up to you guys to embrace it. Yeah. You want to change the culture. Everyone has to work together. Yes, we can have our programs. Yes, we can do this and that. Yes, we can say we can have free stores. We can have Sunday school classes. We can have all these things we've been having. We're going, we have plans for a Christmas play. We have plans for youth service. We have plans for bonfires and other events out throughout the rest of the year. We're still doing a variation on our youth lock-in. All of these things are still going to happen but we have to change what happens every day in order for any of these things to last. Yeah. Yes, we made some good contacts at the free store. But what happens today? Yeah. What happens the day after youth service? What happens the day after youth week? What happens the day after kids fest is what's going to matter yeah. more than anything else. And also, even the way we do those things has to change. We have to change the way we're doing things. Because if we don't change the way they do things, they're doing, we're doing things, nothing's going to last. Yeah. Uh, one of our most successful in terms of numbers uh, youth weeks was the one where we had several baptisms, notable healings, multiple people filled with the Holy Ghost. Of those people who were baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost at that youth week, I'm pretty sure that we currently sit at maybe one of them still being here. One of those people that were baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost during that youth week, I'm pretty sure we have one, maybe two that still come to this church on a regular basis. Yeah. That's not good. Uh, we, Brother Gleason puts it out. We talk talk about special Sundays where we have our friends and family day, Easter Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, youth weeks, all those types of things. Those kids fests, back to school bash, block party, door knocking campaigns, other evangelistic initiatives, all those things. 
There's nothing wrong. We've been in a lot. We've done a lot of them, and we're probably going to do a lot more. We're going to do a lot more. But we've got this issue. Something isn't lasting when we do these things. So we get to the question. He puts out here. There's a difference in soul winning and disciple making. Soul winning and disciple making. There's a difference. And then people in the room start to question. Since when? Since when are these different things? Um, I, I don't think they're different. Here's the way that I come off, off of this chapter. We need people to win people to the gospel message. But we can't let that be the only thing we do. We cannot let that be the only thing we do. Uh, the goal of people who typically think of soul winning is we had 15 people filled with the Holy Ghost this Sunday and we had 10 baptisms. We, we love the story of Billy Cole seeing 3,000 filled with the Holy Ghost in one day and that wasn't the lowest number he ever saw. We love those stories of missionaries overseas when they talk about we had 15 notable miracles. and Actually, that's low for a missionary. Sorry. 15,000 notable miracles. 30,000 filled with the Holy Ghost. We love those stories. The awesome, incredible stories. But the question comes in, what would we do if we had 3,000 filled with the Holy Ghost this Sunday? We have 3,000 people filled with the Holy Ghost this Sunday, and we have four preachers to handle it. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, and we have one, two, three Sunday school teachers, four maybe if, if we split the class up, and we've got a pastor who's going to preach upstairs, and uh, people who t- teach Bible studies on a regular basis, I think we, we, we might have three or four of those. And Who's going to handle this? How many of you have ever thought about the mom who had eight kids at once? Yeah. She, she got famous for a reason, and it wasn't just the idea of, wow, that was an incredible birth. What happened after that? Who, who's handling these, these eight new babies and how much money they cost, how many diapers they go through, how much milk that is going to take, how much this, how much that, and how much sleep are you going to get? <laughs> Even if you have one that sleeps all through the night, I highly doubt you're getting eight that sleeps through the night. <laughs> and we've got this whole idea. The truth is the heavy lifting of disciple-making takes place after birth. The heavy lifting of soul-winning takes place leading to birth. So what good is it going to do if you go in, you get someone, you lead them through repentance, you baptize them, you pray them through the Holy Ghost. And what so many of these people will do, do is, okay, pastor, we got them here. I'm going to go. I'm going to go get some more. And that guy's standing there, blinking and looking around like, wow, that felt good. Now what? That felt great. Now what? Salvation is not a diploma. This is a birth certificate. The biblical method of the Great Commission is not win souls, but make disciples. If soul winning is the microwave, disciple winning is the crock pot. After you win, what happens? You see, you win a basketball game, you get the glory, you go home, the day's over. You win the Olympics, you get your gold medal ceremony, and then you hang your medal up on your wall, and you live the rest of your life. You do this 
Everyone celebrates and it's over. That's the whole issue with the word when. The issue is not with the word so. The issue is with the word when. Because we get that idea winning is short, measurable sequence of time. It, and it relatively short. Because making communicates skillful, label, labor-intensive, open-ended season of personal investment. Now, of course, making the cake is a little bit different than being behind the process of building a house. Or being behind the process of... Uh, making a family or whatever words you might use because you've got this idea something's going to last after this is done. This is something that we're investing our time in. We've got our typical soul winning strategy. Uh, he said while we were that while his church was doing this about 15%, I heard him in one interview said we actually measured it at 17% of the people that came to church and were filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus name, 17% of them kept on coming to church after that's probably around the same here. I'm not even sure if that's true. It could be a little less in my personal opinion that we have when that happens. But he said when they started doing this way, retention rate jumped to 71%. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you that sticks out to me. That he's focusing on retention rate, not numbers. So initially, you may think, but, 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 we only had two or one new person come to church after this. Okay, but next year, did our average go from 20 to 21? Awesome. That's better than what we've been seeing over the past few years. If the average jumps up one number, good news. You're doing something right. Yeah. Because there's a big difference between, man, our average on Sunday. We, on last Sunday, we had 57 people in church. But somehow we're still averaging 25. Yeah. Versus, man, our biggest Sunday this year was 30? Okay, but average is 27. That fits. We've got realistic pictures in our head of what's actually happening. Yeah. We should not be thinking we've got to baptize 100 people to keep count. The power of making disciples is staying with them. Jesus said in John 17 while he was praying in the garden, Lord, I have not lost any of my people except Judas. He prayed and he said, we've not lost anyone but Judas because I stuck with these guys. Yeah. We have the ability to cross the finish line together. That word evangelism, as I said, it's a part of the fivefold ministry. That evangelizing, our evangelists that we have come in this church, we've got a, you, you've, you know who Doug Smith is. You know who Heath Travis is. We, we know about uh, Brother... Basically, any of our preachers who come through here, some brother Ryan there, all those guys that we talked about, Jesus didn't say go evangelize the world. We're not all supposed to be Ryan Nair. You're supposed to be Bobby. Yeah. You're supposed to be David. Yeah. Supposed to be Brittany, Michelle, Lisa. That's who you're supposed to be. Your your job is not to become the next so and so. Your job is to be you. And to make disciples. So, soul winning issue that we come up with, that's not what Jesus said to do. It's not the New Testament language. It's uh, very few within our local congregations are able to every day pray someone through to the Holy Ghost. Some people can do that. Awesome. Great. Not everybody's going to do it. It's not usually associated with making a disciple. Making a disciple is that guy at work that you've been hanging out with and slowly putting more and more and more into him. Yeah. It's not living daily life. It, it's easy to win souls when you're on an evangelistic field. Yeah. 
As an evangelist, it's pretty easy to pray somebody new to the Holy Ghost every day because you're at some new church preaching a high-energy thing. There's a big event going on. As an evangelist, it's pretty easy to pray th people through to the Holy Ghost. It's, it's easier when you're the Jason Sisko, Brian Muir type to do that because God has specially anointed you to bring extra people in. It is a special anointing in some ways. But, and it's usually presented within unnatural institutionalized context is what he's saying. Like you've got revival services or kids fest or all of our other events that we do. Making disciples is not about what happens after they're saved. It's about the journey from, hi, my name is, to, okay, I think you're ready to do this on your own. There's a lot between those two days. There's a lot between those two days. There's a lot between the day when you're teaching this guy that when you that day when you meet somebody in a park and invite them to come to church with you to the day that you say, you want to preach a youth service? In fact, there's probably a, there, there's somewhere around seven years between the day we seven or eight years between the day we met Texas Young to the day that happened. Yep. That's a discipleship journey. Now there's now, that's not to say it took eight years for him to be filled with the Holy Ghost. No, it didn't take eight years. I heard someone putting it this way, talking about learning a language. Like when you're learning a new language, they tell you, this is a tip they tell you when you're, you go and take a class to learn a new language. He said, man, I really want to be fluent in such and such a language. They said, okay, but how long did it take you to learn English? How long did it take you to be conversational in the English language? <laughs> Realize it's going to take time to learn something new. How long did it take you to learn to be an American? That's probably a little bit of how long it might take you to learn to be a Christian. Yes, you got to keep going. Those first century Christians experienced the full gospel of Jesus. They repented of the sins, filled with the water baptism, and speaking in other tongues. Our definition of Christian initiation has been gaining traction around the world. Contending for it creates a stir of opposition with people who, even people who consider themselves Christians. The full operation of the gifts of the Spirit, the working of miracles, wonders, signs, inward, outward, marks of devotion, all these things that we call apostolic. Yeah. We still have to fight for those. Is it possible that we are still missing the full definition of being a Christian? Because I, I was watching a video and they were talking about how messed up the history of the Pope was. How there were popes that were having parties that were lewd and messed up in the place where he was living. This year? Not this year. <laughs> Ancient days. This was this was back in the days when it, of the early Holy Roman Empire and all those guys. That was back then. But the popes they had back then were doing that. Messed up history. And this was the guy that they still try to tell you is the supreme leader of the church and whatever he says is the word of God. Okay. And it took years to get the idea of Christian away from that being the only majority opinion that there was. And now we're standing here and still trying to say, do we really live our lives according to to the New Testament church. There's one characteristic embedded in first century Christians. They knew we are disciples of Jesus. And as a Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, we have to make more disciples of Jesus. That's the way Jesus said. We think that the job gets done just because we come to church and we give the church enough money to get it done. <laughs> We think the job gets done because, oh, there's pastor. Pastor is going to get this church rolling. 
Pastor's going to get people here. Pastor is going to preach a message. And when pastor preaches, people will come to the altar. They'll pray through the Holy Ghost. They'll just start attending and they'll start giving the offering. They'll start dressing holy and living holy. And as long as people are here and that's happening, this church is going to happen. It sounds awesome. It don't work. It sounds great. We have to actively live our lives in such a way that people will be born into the kingdom and when they're born they will be taken care of. As long as we're having people start churches, things are going great, right? No. Jesus said make disciples. Alright, so let, let's get this idea. He says, soul winner wins one soul a day for an entire year. 365 new people every year filled with the Holy Ghost. Speaking in other tongues. Baptized in Jesus' name. If that happens for a whole year, 365 people. He says, on the other hand, one guy wins one, makes one fully discipled person a year. Next year, we have 366 people filled with the Holy Ghost. Next year, we have 366 people filled with the Holy Ghost. And on the other hand, we have two disciples of Jesus. If this guy does this for 30 years, 10,950 born-again people. That's the disciple-maker. And on the other hand, we have... Mm, are they loyal? Are they committed? All those things going on? If this guy does it, says currently on this planet we have 15 to 20 million oneness Pentecostals right now. Using the formula of a disciple making one disciple a year, if all of us did that, we could reach the entire world's population in nine years. If every apostolic committed to making one disciple a year, nine years. Sounds awesome. That's wonderful. So let's get to this picture of why I said penguins and storks and I'm almost done. Now, when I'm almost done, I will explain my title. Because <laughs> that's the way the chapter lays out. <laughs> so, the stork. We've all heard of it. Sister Michelle told us all, it's the one that brings the babies. Uh, this come, uh, most likely, this came from Hans Christian Andersen, who wrote a story that storks brought newborn babies to their awaiting families. Be probably because adults didn't want to have to explain the little kids where babies come from. Unfortunately, it seems that we have churches who also don't want to explain where babies come from. The stork picks up uh, the baby in a huge diaper, flies the baby to the right door jet, right address, rings the doorbell with his little wing, and flies away, never to worry about what happens to the baby again. And too many congregations have that same idea. Oh, well, I invited that guy to church. He'll come to church. Uh, the pastor will preach a message. He'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. And awesome. That's, that's what's going to happen. And I never have to worry about that person I invited to church ever again. They become saints all by themselves. Autopilot. He says we need to be less like storks. He, uh, let's talk about emperor penguins. They live in Antarctica. Uh, they lay their eggs in May. After the female lays her egg, she passes it to her male mate. He keeps the egg warm. He tucks it into her conscious skin under his belly and above his feet. He balances the egg there for 64 days, during which time the female travels to the ocean and hunts. The male huddles together with all the other males, keeping their eggs warm, walking like the little penguins walk and balancing their eggs there. Um, the females return uh, after those 64 days. Uh, and they then incubate the eggs faithfully. And the egg hatches with a belly full of food to feed their young. 
They take care of the hatchlings, regurgitating the food they caught while the males then go to the ocean so that they can eat in the first time in more than 100 days. Next 50 days, the parents switch back and forth. One hunts, the other stays and feeds. Then the chick is about two months old. It starts spending more time away from its parents. Even though it still depends on them for food, the parents leave them with a group of other chicks called a creche. It's supervised by other penguins in the colony. They can now go hunting together. This hunt is not as time consuming because the warm spring weather brings the shoreline closer to the colony's nesting site. And when the parents return to the colony, they reunite with their chick to feed them. That sounds complicated. That sounds hard. That sounds time consuming. But if any of but if if you want, I could have any of you come up here and tell me about the first several days even of having a newborn baby. And you can tell me just how time consuming that sounds. The first week of having a baby. The first month? How about the first year? Sound complicated? Anybody else? How, how did that one baby fill your time? How did that one baby change your schedule? How did that one baby impact your life? I remember the day that it occurred to me. I'm never going to be able to talk to Bethany in Texas about hanging out again without wondering the question, okay, do you have a spot for a car seat? Yeah. Um, who, or and if not, who's going to watch Corbin? And if not, uh, having to worry about, okay, what time are we going to get back because he needs to go to bed at a certain time and having you're never going to be able to have a normal time to just hang out again without having a million and two questions. And that's how this is supposed to work. Yeah. When you decide, I want this person to be coming to the kingdom of God, you are saying with that, there is something you need to do. Because if you don't do it, who's going to do it? And that's the way this works. We need you to have the mentality, I'm a penguin, not a stork. So, we need to have this idea. And in fact, you need to put this idea in other people. That when you come into this kingdom of God, I need you to help me. I need you to grow up in such a way yeah. that you can help me. Yeah. Because if we don't, we get this idea of what we have today. Many parents have done this with their kids. That they have not given, they, they uh, taught their kids um, this idea of non-commitment. We have parents who live with distorted mentality. Yeah. And that's probably the reason why we have churches with stork mentalities. I don't have to take care of them. Well, I, 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 I had kids, but I still want to be fun. I, I did this. I still want to be fun. I don't, and now we have parents who, because then we have adults now, who because their parents have the mentality, I need to focus on fun more than anything else. We have parents who now say, I don't want to have kids because I want to be able to live my life. Yeah. And we have Christians who say, I don't want new people in the church because I want to not have to worry about new people. But it's real easy if we're able to just fly around and just drop off babies and move on. See, we've got that idea. We need to realize authentic apostolic Christianity will shine through easily if you're given several opportunities to sit down and present the Word of God for an hour or two at a time. That's the way that penguins are doing it. This becomes a whole lot easier. A whole lot simpler to do. Yes, it takes investment. But here's the good news. You're only investing in one egg as a penguin. Instead of having to fly babies off to a billion different addresses as a stork. Yeah. It's a whole lot more time consuming to fly all these babies everywhere. And that's what so many of us have in our minds. 
But it's a whole lot easier if once a week, about four o'clock, you go knock on somebody's door, is the illustration he says here. A stork doesn't come to this to your doorbell, doorstep every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Ring the doorbell, but a pink one will. So let me put it to you this way. Here's the way that this works right now. If you want someone to grow in God, just spend time with them on a regular basis. Hang out. Maybe have dinner. Talk about Jesus. Talk about how to live your life. Answer whatever questions they may have. Feed them on a regular basis. Say, let them know I'm committed to you. You can call me anytime. Let them know I'm committed to you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm here to answer any questions you have. What's the difference between soul winning and disciple making? Constant connection with one person versus all over the place trying to win the whole world by yourself. And then when you're done with that, and then when that one person, you feel confident that they can be on their own. They start winning somebody else. They start talking to somebody else. They start investing their self into someone else. And you can invest yourself in someone else. And it'll be less and less of having to help them all the time. But you're still there. You're still growing by yourself. Is there any difference how the first search lived their lives and how we do? Yes. But there don't need to be. We need to do this. And how can we do this? I want you to think this. How can I be a penguin this week? How can I be a penguin this week? How can I start right here and right now to do this for other people? Praise the Lord. Thank you all for being here. This is, this is it. We just need to make sure we're investing our time instead of thinking we can just drop somebody after they've been born. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all pray. Jesus, help us to get this mentality in our minds that we are going to invest ourselves in people, that we're going to live our lives in such a way to win people.